Good day and welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast, mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday, and a big thank you to C-Suite Radio and C-Suite TV for their support. I truly appreciate you. This is the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. Each episode, you'll hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They share insights in self-leadership and leading others, and together we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. Author of The Game of Inches, Why Small Change Wins Big Results. Nigel Cullen is not your typical business author. With over 30 years' experience, Nigel understands the real grit and fire of the business world. Nigel has interacted with a lot of business superstars, having done hundreds of one-on-one in-depth interviews with the cream of the Australian corporate world. Having access to the finest business minds enabled him to not only understand the art of money-making, but also to create a highly doable system to achieve better business results. In Nigel's world, more is not more, strategy is not obvious, and the usual road travelled is for chumps. Backing up his assertions with research, logic, and simple clarity, Nigel is somebody who understands. Welcome, Nigel Cullen. Welcome, Nina. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Nigel, we go way back to the very earliest days where I was delivering adult learning. So were you. We were both delivering speed reading for the same international training company. How about that? I was thinking about that the other day, and it, I, I'd like to think it, it actually wasn't that long ago, Nina. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. No. <laughs> it was. A decade or two. Yeah. <laughs> but we both got our start in front of... Uh, Adults. I mean, I, I I was doing school teaching, but it actually it actually gave me a flavour of what it's like to teach adults in a short burst, skills based, competency based um, topic. And it was like, oh, I really like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I ended up starting a training company. <laughs> it's interesting because I think when we did meet, I was going through uni. I think it was around that time doing a dip ed. Um, I was going to be a teacher, and I and I went. I don't want to do that, but I loved the adult education, and still do, of course. Um, so same same thing, just a different market, I guess. I was going through film school, having been th- through my Bachelor of Arts and Diploma in Education, and had worked as a teacher, and went, nah, I'm out of here, and I went to film school. After you went to afters. <laughs> Yeah, I did. Uh, Australian Film TV Radio School, which is the prestigious school in Australia. And then I worked at ABC Television as a production manager, but I was doing the speed reading part-time through that whole period and I had my own ideas. And then I left that company and had my own little community group where I tried out all my ideas and they worked. (laughs) But after two years I went, oh, I've got a better course that takes less time, that gets better results with less pressure. I have something to take to the market. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I started out, um, I also wanted to be an actor, so I went to acting school for a while, never finished because I started getting work. 
Um, and then I had an entertainment business. And during that time, I actually, I didn't do a diploma or anything at AFTERS, but I actually went to AFTERS and, you know, they had a series of shorter sort of courses. And I studied writing, which has always served me well, wow. uh, directing and interviewing skills, which to this day has got to be one of the most useful things I've ever done. I know for your book. Yes. Is fantastic, The Game of Inches, and it tells me it's all about continuous improvement, which is really up my alley. I love marginal gains and continuous mm. improvement. But for the book and, and just for your whole professional um, uh, foundation, you've inter interviewed literally hundreds of superstars and you've identified certain patterns. So tell us about the patterns you've picked up. Yeah, it's really interesting. So I've always, I guess like you, I've always been very curious as to what makes people tick because you can read up on it and that's great and we should, but when you go out and actually talk to people, you learn this whole different depth. And, and so I went out on this long story on a, on a motorbike trip solo, me and a video camera, and as I met people, I'd interview them, right? So And the idea was just to kind of find out how creative and innovative we are as a nation, I guess. Um, anyway. And, and after you interview a lot of people, you do see patterns in what they do. And one of the patterns, which I didn't expect to find, I didn't go out looking for patterns. I just want to put that out there. I actually was quite open to finding whatever I found, um, was this notion of really successful people, superstars, right? As you say, be they in business or Olympians or just community leaders, um, they get this idea that they have this mindset of focusing on the little things. They get that the little things make the big things happen. And it's not about copping out and just doing the easy stuff. What it's about is if you've got a big audacious goal or you want to achieve something, the way to get there is one step at a time, you know. Um, and I remember coming back after my second trip around the country and my mentor back then um, said to me, what did you learn? I went, man, it's like it's like this game of inches going on. And he went, there's the title for your book. Um, and so there you go. That that was the, the one thing, that was sort of the umbrella thing that I discovered. Yes, <laughs> yes, focusing on the little things. And you, you, you talk about in your book about uh, four actions and the fact that there is a process and three behaviours mm. and it's more than a process. So, so uh, find a gaps interesting because tell us about that yeah what well, the other thing that, this is probably if there's a hierarchy the next thing was this this ability superstars understand to be gap hunters not id hunters right and by that i mean they're really good at finding what needs to be improved what's the issue what's the problem so gaps are simply problems or opportunities right um and we have them all through our lives, all through our careers, all through our businesses. And when we often talk gaps, you know, we talk or we think about market gaps or gap analysis, all that sort of big stuff. But gaps are just those little things you do on a day-to-day -day basis that if you did them better, will make a huge difference. So, for example, um, you know, a little gap that, oh, a gap that I've had for years is I'm really easily distracted, right? I'm like that, the dog in the movie up, you know, squirrel. I uh, just always off onto the next thing. And that's a gap for me. If I can stop doing that and I can learn to focus more, I'm going to be far more productive and I'm going to get a lot more done. So, so gaps are just these little things. Um, and they can be in production, in the products you sell and the services you have. They can be gaps 
in the market, in how you invoice, in how you communicate. There could be gaps in your own personal development, right? Um, you know, maybe you need to become more assertive, for example. And superstars are just geniuses at finding gaps. Well, they, they, they're, they're honest with themselves and maybe see that they're lacking in a certain area and don't go, oh, well, that's just me. I just have to live with it, which is fixed mindset. Because yep. you do talk about fixed versus growth mindset. A growth mindset person will say, well, I could learn to be more assertive. I could learn to have higher emotional intelligence. Yeah. That's, that's what you pick up in the book. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think the other one there is, you know, the reason I started all of this is I've always, I sort of grew up on the creative side of the events industry, right? And, and I remember being at a conference and there was someone speaking at the conference and he said, uh, to paraphrase, you know, if you're going to be creative, if you're going to be innovative, you've got to be like Steve Jobs. And I instantly thought, no, you don't, you know, because innovation belongs to everybody. And one of the issues that I, I that struck me in the head at the time was, wow, everybody talks about innovation as this big audacious thing. You've got to invent the next iPhone. No, you don't. And, and so that's when I started all of this and I, I, I discovered this idea of gaps um, again, I, I, guess I didn't discover it. It discovered me. I don't think any of this is groundbreaking stuff. It's been in existence forever. Um, but what's really interesting, when, I, when we talk about superstars finding gaps, they also understand the importance of the little gaps, you know, because they're quick and they're easy and it's the little things. And so they actually get that a little innovation can make an enormous difference to a bottom line, for example. Or it's the it's that one extra practice session that you do on the ski ramp that gets you the gold medal, right? It's it, They get the importance of little things. And I think in the business world, we're, we're hell-bent on finding the next big thing, you know, the next unicorn. Man, that's hard. It's hard. Well, of course, um, the British cycling team that com uh, competes in the Tours de France, they found that out because they brought in this whole principle of marginal gains, which is looking for lots of little 1% improvements and doing it daily. Yeah. And they went from not ever winning Tour de France to winning four in a row and then a gap and then another one or two. It's like it, it, it's an amazing track record there just through this whole principle of the plus one, plus one percent marginal gains. Yeah, and, and how do you do that, I suppose, is the other question. But, um, yeah, it's it's understanding that that, that one percent, just that little thing, is what can get you across the line before everybody else. Well, one yeah. of the things I was reading is about asking customers what, uh, what annoys them <laughs> and what and I mean, I'm coaching a, a, a salesperson at the moment and it occurred to me that one of the things that they can be going in because they're introducing, there's a product that is like what everybody uses and they've got the alternative product. And I'm thinking the, 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 the killer question is, what's one thing that annoys you about using this product? And if you can actually find that that matches what your product supplies, you're home and hosed. Really? <laughs> it's absolutely, yeah. And I and I'm kind of thinking, wow, wow, how many people are brave enough to ask that? Because we don't like to be told we're rubbish, you know. Um, but it's an incredibly important, powerful question. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you have to be willing to uh, ask your own customers. Oh, what's the question? If there was, if if we could improve our service even by one percent, what would you have us do? I'm going to write that down. <laughs> 
Thank you. That's that's the question we get them to ask in customer service training. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And that one little thing but, cover. That's what we teach. I don't know whether whether our, our our teams actually go ahead and do it because they bring us in as outsiders and we tell them all the good stuff. It's up to them to actually then implement it or execute it, yeah. So you then yeah. say take action but also pick one thing. That's very practical advice. I Yeah, uh, um there's a great book on that, by the way, called One Thing. I can't remember who wrote it. Um, oh. But, yeah, you think think about it. There's, um, you know, and I learned this in the events sector, you know, having grown up in, in that world because you think about it, people go to a conference, for example, and they come out of it, and I'm as guilty as everybody, going, oh, I've got this huge list of things I'm going to do. You know, I've got six things or ten things. I've got this list of stuff I'm going to implement. And if you actually implemented all of it, it would be, catapult you to start them. Um, <clears throat> the problem is we get back to the office or our world or our home office, wherever we are, and, you know, emails come in and there's fires to put out and we get busy and that list of 12 things kind of gets shoved in the virtual intray, if you like, and other folders get piled upon it and eventually it kind of falls into the abyss and we never see it <laughs> again. And so we have all these great intentions but the fact is we're just all too busy. We're too manic. So if you go if you go into it thinking, right, I'm going to do 10 things, you're not going to get any of it done. And even if you do get some of it done, the question is what sort of quality are you going to do it with? You know, are you just going to skip through it and tick it off or are you actually going to zone in on it? But what if, you know, you just did one thing, you know, just one thing. So you spend two days at a conference and you've got your list of 10, for example, or you sit down and do your to-do list in the morning and you know that people are going to interrupt you and things aren't going to go the way you planned. So what if you just focused on doing just one thing a day, just one thing? And make don't make it big, right, because it's too hard. Just a little thing, what's one thing? And do that one thing. We can all do one thing. And then once you've do done one that thing one, that's an innovation, one thing that's improving or one thing that's yes. fixing a problem or fixing, uh, was it friction? If there's yeah, friction in the, in the customer journey. Fix yeah. that one point of friction. Yeah, one gap. What's one action you're taking to solve one gap? Don't try to fix all of your gaps because gaps are everywhere, right? Um, and then once you've done that one thing, do the next one thing. Mm. And then do the next one thing. And and that way, for me, it just takes the angst out of life because I, I, all i got to do is keep doing one thing. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You mentioned in the book that uh, some of your ideas, like the minimal viable product, comes from lean, uh, yeah. lean philosophy. Yeah. Um, so, so lean, um, lean innovation, if you like, is a lot of software developers use. I mean, it carries across into startup territory. But, but basically, what it is, if you're if you're developing a, a new online game, you don't develop the entire thing and spend you know millions of dollars and then launch it to market in the hope that it works. What you do is you go, okay, <clears throat> what's the least thing we can develop? What's the least version of this we can make to test if it's going to be viable or not? And then you send it out into the market. And if it works, then you kind of add the different layers on it and you start 
creating it. If it doesn't work, then you haven't wasted all that time, money, and resources on something in its entirety. So the, the concept of MVP, minimal, minimum viable product, is what's the, the least thing you can create to test its viability. And, you know, if we take that one step further, what if, they, what if we have an MBA, like a minimum viable action? So oh. what's this one action I can take to test whether or not that, that road I'm going down, that new pathway is actually going to work for me? So, if, for example, with sales, if, I, if I'm developing or I'm working on a new sales script, for example, for a yeah. new product, so rather than, than writing the entire script and then sending it out to 100 people, well, why don't I just write the script in a base form test it with a couple of people and see what the response is. So, you know, what's my minimum viable action? And, again, it takes the angst away because we're not trying to do everything at once. We're just doing one piece. Let me just move on to the next MBA or MVP. Mm. One of the things I was happy to see is you talk a little bit about how you how a, a team should handle mistakes and not feel defeated and to, to treat it with curiosity that, okay, we, we didn't succeed there. What can we learn from this? I mean, that's a very healthy attitude to have around learning learning from your mistakes. Yeah. Um, look, it is. And I, I think probably part of that is, is, you know, legacy of being a creative person, I suppose. But yeah, it's interesting. None of it, we don't like making mistakes. None of us like failing. Let's face it, that's a human trait, I guess. But the fact is there's gold in them, their mistakes, you know. Yeah. And if you're breathing, you're going to stuff up, you know. Um and so why not sort of take stock and debrief and go, what have we learned from that? And that's the growth mindset that you were talking about. You know, Carol Dweck, you know, who developed growth oh, mindset, yes. thank God that she's been put onto this planet because it is just an amazing thing. Um, Harvard Business Review did an article. I can say, I haven't, off the top of my head, I can't remember what it's called, but it was about the ROI of mistakes. What if an organisation, every time something went wrong, rather than berating their teams, what if they sat down and went, what did we learn? You know, why didn't that work? That's what exactly what should happen. And within the space of six months, you would have a library of material to equal the university system kind of deal. Um, if you catalogue it, you know, and then you can or share it with other departments or other organisations. And we know through case studies, you know, post-it notes, um, Play-Doh, the world is full of incredible success stories that were mistakes. And <laughs> the, 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 the post-it note, the glue on the post-it note was glue that didn't work. <laughs> it was, it just, was just strong enough to put to stick to paper, but it wasn't what they were after. And, and you know what's even, even amazing more about that is, yeah, it was a complete mistake, 3M rather than going, you're an idiot. They shelved it. They went, oh, well, we'll just, there might be something in there, right? They didn't, it didn't happen instantly, but a while later they went, hang on, that could work for this. Then what happened is post-it notes uh, were actually one of the first um, sample giveaways in the world of marketing because they figured, how are we going to, how do we explain, how are we going to, how do we get people to understand what this is? So they just went and gave a heap away and then all of a sudden their orders went through the roof. So what's beautiful about that is that mistake not only created a wonderful product, it created a marketing system. Yeah, um, yeah. And these, you know, <laughs> you've got to ask yourself, how many, how many, you know, post-it notes are slipping through your fingers on a daily basis? 
How many mistakes are you making that you're covering up or you're just ignoring? But there's gold in there if you're brave enough. To, yes, to so, so any manager listening to this, try and cultivate a learn-from-mistakes uh, mindset so that people aren't afraid to fess up about a mistake. Otherwise, they'll cover up and you'll never learn what you're supposed to learn from that piece of gold. Oh, yeah, I love that. Because yeah, when people brainstorm, they go for two or three answers. And what I learned from Brian Tracy, God bless him, is uh, about the principle of writing down the numbers 1 to 20 and not stopping till you get to 20 because you will have a lull about the middle. Mm. And I've also attended a creativity session with a, a PhD uh, researcher, and he said all innovations are, are preluded by a mental blank. And I've Ooh. noticed that I will do these 20 and I'll have this mental blank, but I'll go, I've still got to get to 20. I'm only at 11. But then a second wind will come. It's like, you know, the brain has sort of put another, opened up a window and a series of fresh ideas come. And the number of times I've acted on idea 23. Or maybe it was just the next step. The point is the smartphone didn't just pop out of thin air. It was Steve Jobs' ability to see what was possible and what people need, obviously, and roll it all into one. So it's really, and it's, look, for us me mortals, it's really hard to come up with the next Uber or the next smartphone. It's, it's really hard. So why don't we just constantly improve what we've got, make it better than anybody else can do it and give ourselves a competitive edge? And put one foot in front of the other because I was reading where with Airbnb, it was called that because it was rent an air mattress in the in the lounge room. <laughs> it's, <laughs> so it's, awesome. it's gone way beyond that. But it was two guys that said, let's just set up a rent an air mattress in the lounge room, not your own room or your own place. And, and there's involved. the run, right? How did those guys know that was going to be the global monstrosity that it was? They obviously saw a gap, right? They went, oh, hang on, there's an opportunity here. They, they found a gap and they acted on the gap. So, you know, for managers, for leaders of people, the other question is, well, how do you encourage your people to be hunters of gaps? How do you encourage your, your team, you know, to find those little changes, those little things that if they improve them are going to make it huge? There's, um, <coughs> excuse me, there's a, uh, an interview I did years back with a guy called Shane Kelly of Kelly Engineering. Makes plows pretty much um, in the Flinders Ranges here in Australia. And he told me this amazing story about, you know, he gives every Friday afternoon, he has a team leader meeting. It's all online now and he follows the Kaizen kind of principle. But back then it was handwritten notes. And his team leaders had come into the room and he'd go, What have you found? What gap have you found this week in your department? And what have you done about it? And that was it, right? You don't have to worry about what. The other person was there. So it was, what have I done? And he said, the, the guy in the paint shop one day came in and said, wow, um, we figured out it was taking too much time to get green paint, which was their most used colour, right? And he told me this story about the shed and the, the guy in the paint shop was looking at the forklift coming in one day and had to move a pallet or two to get the green paint over here and then get it all the way back out. And they thought, well, that's just a waste of time, right? So he moved, not the whole lot, but just one shelf of green paint across and then they measured it. And it kind of and it turns out the difference between just coming into the door, getting the paint and going out, or coming all the way in, getting the paint and going out, was only a matter of 20, 30 seconds or something like that, right? It wasn't a lot. 
But then what they did is they worked out how many trips does that forklift make a day, a week, a month, and a year. And it turns out the time saved in productivity was equivalent to how much time it takes to make one and a half of their Diamond Harrow plough systems. And those things that have to sell close to six, if not more than six figures, right? Wow. One tiny, tiny little change that most people would write off as being insignificant has enormous impact. Now, the genius of Kelly is he every week encourages everybody in his organisation to find similar gaps and act on them, right? So multiply that through every department of an organisation. It's massive. It's massive. Just to close, I'm going to recommend the best book I know of for finding gaps. Have you heard of this one? The Goal no. by The Goal by Eli Goldratt, and he's it's theory of constraints, and they teach theory of constraints in uh, business schools around the world. And yep. he he's he's all about bottlenecks and delays. You find the bottlenecks and you fix them. Yep. So, there you go. Gap. So it's all about gaps. Hey, but there's also personal gaps too, right? Like, what's your personal gap? What can you do to improve yourself? How do you become a better manager, a better leader? Find a gap. Yeah. yeah so pat yourself on the back and say, "I'm doing a good thing if I can do one one percent improvements every day and get my team to uh, look for the gap." Yeah, and your team probably don't think they're as good as they are either. Yeah. So we have to praise each other more. Yeah. Oh, this has been great. Uh, Nigel, I just love the flow of our conversation and it's been, it's way too short, but hey, it's, it's time to, to say thank you so much for your com- conversation and your wisdom and your brilliant mind. Oh, look, no, thank you. Um, it, it's a pleasure to be part of it. And I just, you know, I was watching some of your other episodes. It, it's, thank you for putting it all out there pretty much. My pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. All yeah. the best. Bye. Bye. Now, I'll just. How do we go? Oh. So, so Nigel, um, when you you do keynotes, yes, face to face at conferences, uh, it used to be around the world. Well, it still is. Yes, it did. Um, but nowadays, when I when I go to America, I do it here. You know. Oh, you mean as in uh, online Zoom? Yeah, but, you know the 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 the, fa- the face-to-face live conference uh, world is coming back. So, uh, you are a very highly qualified speaker, a keynote speaker. Thank you. Yeah, look, I've been doing it like you for twenty odd years, and I've spoken all around the world. Um, and I, you know, beyond prior to COVID, I was in the states quite a lot as well. You know, um, I've got a lot of mates over there now. So yeah, no, I I, I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, yeah. And you learn so much from doing it because, you know, whenever you, you travel, you know, you meet people. And if you're smart, you learn learn from them. And so people can find you at nigelcollin.com.au. Or dot .com. Or dot .com. Yeah. Yep. Either way, but absolutely. Lovely. All right. <laughs> Lovely speaking with you from your home in New South Wales. Yes. From my media room in Queensland. Which beautiful part of the world. And uh, yeah, all right, lovely. All the best. Thanks. This episode, we've been speaking with Nigel Collin on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. Thank you for listening. Until next time.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>